Are you ready for the end of the world? This is your community spirit. Show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit on your community radio, 91.1 FM, community radio for Southern Illinois. My name is Tree Song, and I believe we have a guest with us here on the line. Can you hear us, Or? I can barely hear you. Okay, there we go. Can you hear me better now? Um, not really. Huh. How about that? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay, all good. I think we've got it now. <laughs> happy Energy Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, Happy Energy Independence Day. <laughs> we were saying that um, I got an email today from the Climate Reality Project saying, declare your independence from pollution. So, well, they say dirty energy, but... Yeah. And, I mean, the EPA actually has a clean energy power plan they're attempting to re- to create by reducing carbon pollution, you know, from power plants. Yeah. So, it's pretty interesting. If you haven't had a chance to comment on the EPA plan, um, I suppose I could say, include a link to do that. So. Yeah. But the chance to chance to be energy independent is a big deal for our country. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. It's good for our, uh, you know, security to have supply of energy that we can rely on. It's also good for the climate, which is in turn also good for our security. So it's a good deal. All right, so... This is related to energy, this story. A lot of our stories are, actually. This one is about one judge's smackdown of a Colorado coal mine. It could help fight carbon projects everywhere. Last week, a federal judge blocked a coal mine expansion on public land in Colorado for what could be a precedent-setting reason, failing to consider how the expansion could exacerbate climate change. This is a big deal. Battles like this one over the Sunset Roadless Area, a patchwork of aspen, scrub oak, and wildflowers in rural Colorado, have for the most part been obscure and regional. Areas like Sunset may be very attractive public lands, but they rarely enter the national consciousness the way national parks do. So decisions about what to do with them rarely transcend the influence of local good old boy politics. It's a remote part of the country, um... But a ruling like this forces the people making decisions to answer to the rest of the country for digging all of that coal out of the ground. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's people still having kind of a learning curve about this issue, but it makes a lot of sense that if you're using resources that are polluting the atmosphere and it affects, you know, people beyond your town, then people beyond your town get a chance to pay attention to that and have input in that. I think it's interesting that they have in their 
final environmental impact statement, the quote, effects on climate change may occur from mining coal. <laughs> Unquote. Yeah. Now, do you think they were legally obligated to put that in there? Because they may have been. I mean, I've, it makes me wonder if there's like environmental impact statement, uh, understatement award of the year. Because <laughs> that's a bit of an understatement. Meet the Gleaners, fighting hunger and climate change at the same time. Dana France was first introduced to widespread endemic poverty while volunteering in Southeast Asia more than a decade ago. The malnourishment she encountered, especially among children, left a deeper impression on her than the beautiful landscape. Returning home to Maine and while attending college at both Rochester Institute of Technology and Sarah Lawrence College, friends found herself acutely aware of the tremendous variety and quality of food everywhere she went, and yet much of it has been thrown away. That's actually one of the most interesting things I meet about people who go for a week in Cuba and then come here. Mm-hmm. They're actually overwhelmed by the variety of packaged food. Because in Cuba, everything is very simple. There's not a lot of variety of packaged food. They they do say there's a variety of fresh stuff, but Hmm. you go to the store and there's like one package of milk and, you know. (laughs) Yeah, so they've got a variety of real food. (laughs) Yeah. There was no lack of work to be done, of course. The average American household tosses a quarter of the food it brings home. Now, I don't see the statistic in here, but I have read that 40% of the food in the U.S. is thrown away. Retailers throw out bruised or misshapen produce and day-old baked goods. Catering companies are left with trays of untouched gourmet cuisine. Quote, witnessing tray after tray of perfectly good food being dumped down the garbage disposal in my college dining hall is what brought me to want to learn and act on the issue on a larger level, end quote, she said. Those discards add up. The United Nations estimates that one-third of all food worldwide is wasted. In the U.S. alone, over 33 million tons of it is sent to landfills in 2010. The environmental impacts of this wasted food are vast. Only 3% of the food scraps in the U.S. are converted to compost. The rest go to the dump where they rot and release methane. A greenhouse gas that second only to carbon dioxide as a contributor to climate disruption. So if global food were a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas polluter in the world behind China and the U.S. And that's not counting the greenhouse gases that are created during the production of all that uneaten food. Hmm. Now, a whole group of individuals, nonprofits, religious organizations have set out to stop this waste. They are called gleaners, repurposing the unwanted food to feed hungry people and fighting climate change at the same time. Quote, gleaners are simply the act of collecting excess fresh foods from farms, gardens, farmers markets, grocers, restaurants, state and county fairs, or any other sources in order to provide it to those in need. End quote. The 
issued at U.S. Department of Agriculture states in its Let's Glean Toolkit. Okay, I thought this was something kind of fringy, but the U.S. Department of Agriculture actually has a Let's Glean Toolkit. <laughs> yeah. Developed to assist groups with food recovery. Driven by the paradox of desperate need and abundance existing side by side, Franz, when still a sophomore at Sarah Lawrence College, established a food recovery program called Empty Bellies. The group collected over 500 pounds of leftover food every week from local businesses, college events, and the campus dining hall. By Franz's senior year, Empty Bellies had 45 volunteers who helped collect leftover food and deliver it to an agency serving low-income people in the Bronx called Part of the Solution. That's that's amazing. Yeah. It's like, that's really amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Let's to- glean a toolkit from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Yeah, let's glean a toolkit. It's good to see people doing stuff like that. I mean, I was just talking with some friends earlier this week about how a lot of these biggest institutions, especially, you know, they'll put out food and then it doesn't get all eaten and then they just throw it away. Just, just piles and piles of food just from one place. Well, I mean, uh, there's, there's even food they don't put out. Yeah. That has been paid for, you know, and they still throw that out, you know, because it'd be more work to try to find someone to feed it to or carry it with. Yeah. Yeah, like. just clean it up real quick. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And I like, I like their approach to this issue because it's, I like it when they can find solutions that help both environmental issues and social justice issues. You know, because wasting food, not only is it creating all of this greenhouse gas emission, but it's also depriving people who could be eating that food who don't have any food to eat. So, you know, the gleaners are coming up with solutions to that that help out uh, with the climate situation and help other people, too. So that's pretty exciting. All right, in other climate news, this is actually, it's actually a really nice day here in southern Illinois. I'm kind of confused. It's the 4th of July, and it's not 173 degrees outside. <laughs> It's probably more like 73 degrees, really. I haven't seen the temperature, but this, this though, for the days when it's not so cool out, here's a really cool idea. Cool roofs offer a salve for hot cities, and the climate too. From his office in the Berkeley Hills, Art Rosenfield looks out on the heart of California's Bay Area. The 87-year-old scientist keeps a pencil and a small notebook in his pocket ready to jot down a note or make a calculation. With these simple tools, he's been able to influence state and national energy policy over the years. But now they stay tucked away as he enjoys the scenery. I get a pretty good view of San Francisco, Rosenfeld says. While his vantage point has remained unchanged since beginning his career at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in 1955, the view outside his window has changed considerably. Buildings are taller and more densely packed in on, on all sides of the bay, and from his bird's eye view, he sees that many of these buildings now boast noticeably brighter rooftops than they did even a few years ago. Uh, yeah, so 
having rooftops, it's noticeable on a small scale, even just being on the roof, you notice that that building may reduce, uh, have reduced heat. On a larger scale, the impact can be even greater. Global campaign to brighten cities could cancel out some of the warning, warming caused by greenhouse gases. I mean, you know, it seems like not much when it's one building, but if you do millions of buildings, then it can have an impact on heat levels around cities. Well, in Chicago, what they're doing is instead of white roofs, they're doing the green living roofs. So basically like a, a lawn or a garden on the roof. Yeah. And I mean, for roofs, that can, there are some roofs that that's difficult to support, but a lot of roofs can support that. And if it's able to, that's an even better idea because you're not just stopping the heat from being soaked up. You're actually sequestering carbon, too. That's just a little bit. <laughs> So yeah. I mean, I can imagine living in the city how hot it would get. Yeah, I need. Yeah, it gets really hot in the city. I I have noticed a difference sometimes. You know, being on the blacktop versus being somewhere else, it is noticeable. And uh, this this guy is saying that if you know, if you did all of these roofs that can be done differently, if you change them, that it could be the equivalent of taking half of the world's cars off the road for 20 years. Uh, that's that's a pretty big deal. So whether it's through white roofs or green roofs, working on our roofs can help reduce our, our impact on climate change. Every little bit helps. That's one of those solutions where, no, it's not going to solve the problem entirely. We've got to stop the emissions. <laughs> but along the way, it is good to do little things like that to how produce our impact. Well, like I like to say, there's no silver bullet, there's silver buckshot. <laughs> yeah. A lot of little pellets. Hmm. Speaking, going vegetarian can cut your diet's carbon footprint in half. The agricultural industry is a heavy global warmer, responsible for a tenth of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. But not all farm bounties are climatically equal. New researchers reveal that the diets of those who eat a typical amount of meat for an American, about four ounces or more per day, are responsible for nearly twice as much global warming as vegetarian diets and nearly 2.5 times as much as vegans. That's because directly eating grains and vegetables instead of inefficiently funneling them through livestock to produce meat reduces the amount of carbon dioxide produced by farms and farm machinery. It also cuts back on the amount of climate-causing nitrous oxide released from tilled and fertilized soils, and of course it eliminates methane, belching, and farting by cows and other animals. Is the other animals humans that they're talking about? <laughs> yeah. A British team of researchers scrutinized the diets of 2,041 vegans, 15,751 vegetarians, 8,123 fish eaters, and 29,559 meat eaters, all of them living in the UK. They estimated the greenhouse gas emissions associated with 289 types of food. Man, that's a lot of research. Yeah. (laughs) 
Then they combined the data to determine the global warming impacts of those four diets based on a consumption of 4,000 calories a day. Actually, I screwed that up, of 2,000 calories a day. <laughs> 4,000 calories is the U.S., right? The results were published this month in the journal Climate Change. There's a journal? Climate Change. Yeah. Here's how much carbon dioxide pollution, or equivalent, CO2e, an average man's diet is responsible for every single day. An average woman's is just slightly lower. So heavy meat eaters, that's an American average. Yeah, are you still there? Or I think we may have lost you in the middle of your story. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, we've dropped Or's call. <clears throat> he may try calling in again. But uh, in the meantime... <clears throat> Excuse me, I will go ahead and continue with that story. So yeah, we had heavy meat eaters. The American average would be 16 pounds of CO2. Low meat, meat eaters, 10.3 pounds. Fish eaters, 8.7 pounds. Vegetarians, 8.5 pounds. And vegans, 6.5 pounds. So that's really, that's a big difference. If you look at the difference between the heavy meat eater and the vegans, that's like, that's more than twice as much that the heavy meat eater is emitting. <laughs> but even if you look at the difference between the heavy meat eaters and low meat eaters, that's difference between 16 pounds of CO2e and 10.3 pounds. So that's part of why this story is interesting to me is that, you know, even if you're not going to go vegetarian or vegan, uh, even just reducing your meat intake by participating in Meatless Monday, for example, and just not having any meat on Monday. That can reduce your carbon emissions. All right, we've got one more story here, and then we will get on to the holidays and happenings. I'm sure you already know one of the holidays today. <laughs> Independence Day. All right, this next story, Hacking the Climate, the search for solutions to the world's greatest challenge. In recent years, weather patterns around the world have grown fiercer than ever. Blizzards paralyze daily life across large areas of the nation and the world, while intense heat waves and enduring droughts cripple food production in the West. Huge storms threaten to sweep away coastal communities. These are all things we've been talking about here on the show for quite some time. Yet, oftentimes people aren't sure what to do about climate change. Uh, it's, I mean, this is part of why we try to talk about solutions whenever we can. Politicians and vested interests have bombarded the public with the myth that slowing or halting climate change will lead to devastating effects on people, jobs, and the nation's economies. It's time to bust that myth. Now, we already did a little bit of myth busting on that earlier, sort of just without even trying. <laughs> we talked about how reducing our food waste helps the climate and it helps out people. It helps people save money from not wasting resources on buying the food, and if you get the food going to people who are hungry, then it helps them to eat. Here are a few other quick examples. Uh, a Canadian province started taxing carbon, which not only reduced greenhouse gas emissions, but also helped the economy grow. I mean, people... We've talked about this on earlier shows, how whenever people propose changes like this, there are always all these claims of, oh, it'll ruin the economy, the economy will crash if we start reducing our CO2 emissions. But there are actually some cases where 
you know, in the Canadian province, they created a carbon tax and it actually helped the local economy. Revenue goes right back to the people through tax breaks, so both consumers and businesses benefit. And we were talking about the color of the roofs, whether it's a green roof or a white roof, that can help improve your impact on the environment. This is one we also have talked about in previous weeks, but this is worth mentioning. They've got like a sort of top five list here of interesting ways that people are helping with this. A team of ranchers and scientists are demonstrating that something as simple as spreading compost on grasslands can pull carbon out of the air and store it safely in the soil. And using compost is good too because it reuses food instead of sending it to the landfill. And another example is that a rural community in Colombia has entered into an international agreement that pays them to protect their native forests for the carbon in the trees. The added income from this project allows them to improve their livelihoods while also preserving their unique natural habitat and water resources. I really like that example because there's a lot of imbalance in the way that climate change impacts different nations in the world. You know, the wealthiest nations that got wealthy by consuming resources they're not always the first ones affected. Often the first ones affected are smaller nations that uh, did not benefit from all of that extraction and destruction. And so if we can do something like that, if we can pay them money to sequester carbon by keeping a forest, then that's benefiting their local economy and it's benefiting the global response to climate change. All right, let's get into some holidays and happenings. As you may have noticed, it's Independence Day in the U.S. It's the 4th of July. Some people are taking the day off. I'm actually taking the day off from my other work, but I still came in for your community spirit. It's also apparently National Country Music Day. I wonder if those two are related. And it's Sidewalk Egg Frying Day, but it's not really warm enough today for that in southern Illinois. What an unfortunate thing. We can't celebrate that holiday today. I think I'll take that. Saturday is Workaholics Day. So, <laughs> that's a funny day for it, though, because it's the 5th of July. It's right after uh, the 4th of July. I guess if anyone's working on that day, they really are a workaholic. Sunday is Build a Scarecrow Day. And Monday, this is a big one, Monday is Chocolate Day. You can celebrate Chocolate Day by eating some chocolate. Tuesday is Video Games Day. I don't really play video games as much as I used to. Maybe I should bust out one on Tuesday. And Thursday is Teddy Bear Picnic Day. So teddy bears can have their picnic on Thursday. All right, let's get into some of these happenings. We've got the Carbondale Communities Farmers Market. That's coming up on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m over at the Carbondale Community High School. Yes, it's a good good time over there at the Carbondale Community Farmer's Market. They've moved outdoors for the spring and summer. So it's over at the Carbondale Community High School. It's a place for all sorts of good food, good local produce, other good stuff going on there at the Farmer's Market. All right, now this is, this is a big happening. We've got... I think we may have mentioned this in passing last week, but this is one we can talk about a little more this week because we've got the time for it. And it's coming up quick. It's the Pastors for Peace 
the Friendship Caravan to Cuba. It is coming up on Tuesday, July 15th at 5 p.m. at the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship. This is the 25th uh, Pastors for Peace Friendship. Oh, that's it's the little combined word here, sort of a, a pun. Friendshipment carav- Caravan to Cuba. It will be stopping in Carbondale on Tuesday, July 15th. The visit is an opportunity to show support for ending the U.S. economic blockade and travel ban on Cuba. Caravanista Art Heitzer and Jim Bauman will be welcomed at the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship, 105 North Parish Lane in Carbondale. The evening will begin at 5 p.m. with a performance from great local band Hot Sauce. I remember them. I've heard them a while back. At 6 p.m., Cuban-inspired dinner will be served to be followed by a message from the caravanistas. Since 2000, the Peace Coalition has worked with other friends of the Cuban people in southern Illinois to assist the caravan as it transports donated construction, medical, and education supplies to the people of Cuba. The caravan will travel along 10 routes through 130 U.S. and Canadian cities in a collective effort to challenge the U.S. economic blockade of Cuba. Funds will be collected to help with the expenses of transporting donated supplies. Uh, that's quite an impressive effort. Ten routes, 130 U.S. and Canadian cities. A lot of people out there who care about helping out those in Cuba who need it. So this free community event is sponsored by the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois and the Social Action Committee of the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship. So yeah, that's that's a pretty good deal. It's been going on for... 25 years, well, it's been coming here for 25 years. I don't know if it's been happening before that elsewhere. And it's coming up on Tuesday, July 15th, 5 p.m. at the Carbonella Unitarian Fellowship. And I believe we have time for one more here. This one is a film showing Cyberbully. That is also coming up on Tuesday, July 15th, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Women's Center, 610 South Thompson Street. Join the Women's Center for three film discussion events focused on bullying, prevention, and response. Each event will feature a showing of a film followed by a discussion. Teens are welcome. The films are rated PG-13. All events are free and open to the public and will take place at the Women's Center. For more information, you can call 618-549-4807, extension 251. And the one they're showing this time is called Cyberbully. It premiered on ABC Family back in July 2011. It's the story of a teenage girl who is bullied online. In Cyberbully, Emily Osmond plays high school student Taylor Hildridge. After receiving a laptop for her birthday and partaking in various social networking sites for the first time, she becomes a victim of cyberbullying. Her mom, Chris, is played by the OC actress Kelly Rowan. So, it's all about the harassment she gets, the bullying online, and the response that the family goes through. And bullying is a topic very near and dear to my heart. I've never really been technically cyberbullied. I mean, I suppose people have tried, but <laughs> I was I was an adult by that point and wasn't too concerned by their bullying. <laughs> but really, I was bullied more offline when I was still in school. So I take all of these anti-bullying efforts very seriously. So I'm glad to see the Women's Center doing this event. Once again, it's Tuesday, July 15th. 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Women's Center. All right, and it looks like that's 
10.30, it's a wrap for that. We never did get Orr back on the line, but I'm sure he'll be back with us again next week. It's good to have him in for a little while. It was good to have you in as a listener, too. This was once again an exciting and informative episode of Your Community Spirit. Hope you enjoyed it at least as much as we did. We'll be here next week. We hope you have a safe, happy 4th of July. And we will see you here next week on the radio.